Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Carl. If you're new here, I am the worship pastor here. If you've been here for some time, you and I both hope this goes okay. (laughs) We're going to have a good morning together. Would you please thank what I believe to be the best worship ministry in the whole world? You may be seated. I am honored and humbled to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, I have stood over there many times to sing and tell stories and talk about the Lord, but it seems like a long way from there to here this morning. Well, I'm sincere when I say I am so thankful to be used in this church, and I'm so thankful that God has given me the opportunity to be your worship pastor. I love getting to do what God has called me to do. And so I'm, I'm thankful for this moment. And I pray that we, when we spend these next few minutes together, it will stir your heart as it stirred mine in getting ready and getting excited to talk to you. I have this thing that I do before I'm about to do something, especially when I'm about to do something on a stage or a platform. I always pray this little prayer. God, this is just loaves and fishes until you take it break it, multiply it, bless it, and then use it to feed your people. If you've been around me any length of time or we've done things like this together, you will have heard me pray that prayer. So will you pray that prayer with me right now before we begin today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for my friends. Would you invade these next few minutes with your miracle power, with your wisdom, with your spirit's work, would you take these words as loaves and fishes, break them, multiply them, bless them, and fill us all with a wonder and an awe about who you are that will not allow us to respond in any other way but to give you glory. Would you do it for us now? In Christ's name, amen. Last week, Rob talked about why we gather. And he said, we gather for three reasons. We worship God, we follow Jesus, and we fellowship together with the Spirit. He talked about a point from Hebrews 10.22 that I wanna draw out. Rob said, he read the scripture, it says this, let us draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He said, we're cleansed in both mind and body because we sin with both our mind and our body. Well, I wanna pick up where he left off today and talk to you with a reminder that we also worship with both our mind and our body as we express to God what's on our hearts. It's just a small town girl living in a lonely world. <laughs> she, she took, you know, you know where this is going. One of, the re, one of the things that happens when we're in here singing is that we reinforce belief. It is as if we help each other to not stop believing. Um, Tommy used to work on the docks. Union, it's on strike. He's down on his luck. It's tough. 
But he said, we, we have to hold on to what we've got. We have each other, and that's a lot. <laughs> when we sing together, you help me remember that this materialistic world is not all there is. When I sing, I help you remember that even though your faith feels weak, you can borrow some from me. Together, it's like we're living. Okay, oh, that's good. <laughs> I've been a worship leader my whole life, my whole adult life. And even when I was little, I was in church a lot, playing keyboards and singing in church. I was raised Pentecostal. I was educated Baptist. I married a Lutheran girl. I go to a Bible church. <laughs> I have been to church a lot in my life and I have seen a lot of crazy things happen in church. I was in church uh, at the Pentecostal church most of my growing up through my teenage years until I went to college. It was not uncommon for me to see Miss Willie. She would kick her Sunday shoes off and run around the church, just praising the Lord. Just could not, could not be satisfied to sit in her seat. She had to run, and she did. I was playing keyboard. <laughs> Brother Dan, very calm, cool, collected guy, would always stand in his pew. He looked reserved, but then every now and then, Brother Dan would slip out, and he would dance before the Lord. It was beautiful. I loved it. There's also a lot of weird things happen. Um, I kid you not. I was playing keyboards underneath a man's testimony one time that ended with him threatening violence against my father and they almost got in a fight in church. That happened to me. I provided the soundtrack for that. And, if, and that's not a joke. If you don't believe me, my mother is here today. She too was there and uh, she can bear witness. So I have seen so much happen in church and after a long life of leading worship and being in church, I have come up with a, a little bit of a definition that I wanna to talk to you about today. Um, and, it, and it's this. Worship is just your mind's attention and your heart's affection expressed. Your mind's attention and your heart's affection expressed. I've been in worship services where it, the show was just as good as anything Vegas had to offer and was just as empty. I've been in worship environments where the, the thing I most wanted to do was take a nap. I've been in other, a, a lot of times I find myself in these worship environments. That's where the Lord has, has brought me to, but it's like, sometimes it's like watching the Masters golf tournament. Very dignified, well-dressed people, clapping every now and then. But then there's always that one guy who's like, get in the hole! And he just like, scares everyone, and we're all like, okay, Roger, <laughs> we all want the ball to go in the hole, but don't be a spaz about it. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. To be clear, though, when I'm talking about worship today, I'm talking about this gathering. You as an individual, me as an individual, I am a purpose-built worship machine. I cannot stop it. All of us have a problem sometimes choosing the right God, choosing the living God. But no matter what, at the end of the day, because of how you were created, you wind up worshiping at somebody's altar. So when I talk about worship today, 
I wanna remind you that I'm talking about this gathering, what we're doing right now. Let me say my definition again. Worship is your mind's attention and your heart's affection expressed in gatherings like this. C.S. Lewis said it like this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's 1995, Boiling Springs, North Carolina. The world was my oyster and I found a pearl. I saw young Heather Lookadoo walking across the campus of Gardner-Webb University. There she is, that was her, 1995. I thought in my head, she is pretty. I would like to get to know her. She has blonde hair, that is a favorite. She is tall, taller than me. I can work with this. I felt inside of me, my emotional self was nervous, uncomfortable, disoriented, unsure. She took my breath away when I was around her. It made me, it made me uncomfortable. I was like, what do I do? All of that was a very real experience for me. It was a reality. The thoughts I had in my head, the feelings that I had in my emotions, they were all real, but not until they were expressed did anything change in my life. Not until the day when after class, I walked up to Heather and I said, you are pretty. I like you. Will you go with me to the Outback Steakhouse? And I don't mean just as friends. <laughs> I let the realities of what I thought and what I felt be made known to her. And it was not until then did a whole new world open up for me. I, that changed the trajectory of my life in a very simple sense. What I wanna talk to you today is about what we do in here is a similar thing. We're, we're filled with thoughts and feelings about the Lord. What are we going to do with our expression? And how can I help you make it better? How can I help us all together say, Lord, you're worthy of everything that I've got for you? I wanna help address three questions today, specifically about singing, but in general, our expression. These are the three questions we're gonna talk about today. Number one, what difference does it make when we sing? What difference does it make? Number two, what happens when we refuse? What happens when we refuse? What difference does it make when we refuse? And number three, what will you choose? What we find is that God's invitation to worship is way more than just that we would sing. It's rather his invitation for us to experience him with our whole heart. Are you ready? Let's go.
Number one thing, what happens when you sing? The first thing I wanna make sure you know about is that you are obeying the scriptures when you sing. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing, 50 direct commands to sing. The Bible says, fear not the most of any of its commands. Near the top is to sing. Don't be afraid and sing. When we sing, we obey the scriptures and the scriptures are filled with reminders, Old and New Testament, that we should sing. Psalm 47, six, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Psalm 68, four, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the desert, whose name is the Lord, exalt before him. Psalm 81, one and two, sing for joy to God our strength, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob, raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet sounding lyre with the harp. It goes on and on and on. Singing is a command, not a suggestion. Many people will say to me, Carl, I'm not a singer. And I understand why you would say that. But based on how I understand commands in the Bible, it's the Lord who does the commanding and his people who do the obeying. And when we do so, we do it by faith. So remember, when I encourage you to sing up here, I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm trying to save you from the judgment of God because of your disobedience. <laughs> when you sing, you obey the scriptures. Number two, when you sing, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. God. When we sing anything, it has a way of sticking with us. But when we sing the truths of God, it has a way of sealing it in our souls. Now we sing all kinds of songs at fellowship. We sing songs that are hundreds of years old and we sing songs that are a few days old because our team will write them. I cannot promise you that you will like all the songs that we sing here. I can promise you that all the songs that we sing here will have their roots in the Lord's word because I believe it is a way of hiding his word in your heart and that is transformative to the life of a person who needs transformation. When we sing in this church as your worship pastor, my promise to you is that we will sing songs that are rooted in the scriptures. Because I know that when we sing, the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Third thing that happens when we sing, the enemy of your soul is defeated with a song. Listen to this. Second Chronicles 17 tells a story about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. And it would seem that the Lord's blessing kind of followed his devotion. Second Chronicles 17, six talks about Jehoshaphat. It says this, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. Jehoshaphat 
was concerned about the gathering of God's people. If you read that whole section, you'll understand and come to learn that Jehoshaphat was concerned about the Lord's word being taught to the people and he was concerned about the corporate gathering and the way they worshiped and he was getting rid of idols. This was a king whose heart was turned towards the Lord. But it would seem that things politically turned against Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, a couple chapters later. 2 Chronicles 20 verse two says this, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. We're about to be under attack. They're really close. What are we gonna do? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, Jehoshaphat's the king. Most people look at the king and they're like, all right, we're under attack. Just thought you'd wanna know, but uh, now I need you to come up with a plan, a battle plan, action. What steps are you gonna take? Let's figure it out. So the morning that they're going out to meet this army, multiple nations coming against Judah. The king stands up before they're going out into battle and he talks about what his plan is to deal with the enemy. Verse 20, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Before Judah lifted a sword, they lifted a song. And the Lord met them, outnumbered, outwitted, outmatched on paper. It was over. But is the Lord not tuned to the sound of his song on the lips of his people? It's like your kids. My kids had, when they were little, they had two cries. They had a fake cry and a real cry. And depending on the, the one that I heard would determine whether or not I would get up off the couch. <laughs> but when I heard the real one, when I heard the sound of my little dude in distress or he was hurt or I knew that he needed me, nothing could hold me back. Nothing could stop me. Is the Lord your God not even more so tuned to the sound of your song. Sometimes we face an enemy and we try our best to lift up a sword, but we can barely handle it. We have no business there. But when you lift up a song, the enemy is defeated from your life. I have seen it over and over and over again. Last thing on what happens when we sing, there are so many things, but this is the last one I'll highlight today, is that the gospel is proclaimed. When you sing the Lord's word, the gospel is proclaimed. And you can do it anywhere. It's like the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That song has woven the gospel throughout our world for hundreds of years. It's at home beside a campfire, 
or in a cathedral. It's a simple song, but it's welcome where a sermon would never be. I get the privilege of getting feedback from a lot of you guys about how the worship is. Some of you like it, some of you don't, but one of my favorite feedbacks is this. Carl, when I heard people singing, I took my first step of faith in Jesus. I've heard that story many times in this church because men and women of God were lifting up the glory of God and the goodness of God and telling the story of God in their own life. And when a lost person heard it, they said, I take my first step towards Jesus and I give him my life. Not during, not during a sermon, but during a song. When you sing, you proclaim the gospel. Now, there is a question that I want to address that many of you may be sort of internally asking me. Carl, I can't sing. What, what do I do? I'm not good at music. I, I'm tone deaf. I can't sing. I'll say this to you. Why would the Bible command us to do something that we can't do? Well, the cold hard truth is that like it's full of stuff like that. You say you can't sing, I'll say I have trouble loving my neighbors myself. You say you're not very expressive, I'll say you know, I have trouble trusting God with my relationships. Um, you say this, the Bible is filled with commands that we cannot measure up to when we look at it through the lens of our own ability and our own strength. But when we do anything in the name of the Lord, we do it by faith. I, I, I know I can't. I know I don't measure up. I know I'm inadequate. But when I lift up a song, I do it by faith. Even if you've been told your whole life, ah, oh, you, you just uh, be quiet. You can't sing. My encouragement to you is this. When we do anything that the Bible invites us to do, our obedience in it is a bit of a key to unlock a blessing that you would never imagine that you could, get, you could have access to. So when we're in here, I invite you. You have permission. This is a good place to try out your new singing voice. This is a good place to maybe just say, I'm just gonna lift my hands. You have permission to open up yourself and to say, the things that are in my head and in my heart, I will express them. It matters and it makes a huge difference difference. Next thing, second question. What difference does it make when you refuse? Now, over these next few minutes, if you feel like someone is preaching to you, you will be right. <laughs> I want to encourage you in this though. When you refuse to sing, or express, or let what's on the inside of you be made known to this world, you are in danger of withholding something from God that he wants from you. You're in danger of withholding something that isn't rightfully yours. The book of Ezekiel has a description that is addressed to the king of Tyre but it is widely understood as a description of what it was like when Lucifer fell from heaven. The book of Ezekiel 28, 13 and following. 
the Bible describing Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. This is a description of a being that was literally beautiful, covered in jewels, made of instruments with timbrels and pipes, an eternal expression of sight and sound for the glory of God. That's how he was made. But verse 17 says this, your heart was lifted up and proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Now, trading here, uh, some, some translations of the Bible say merchandising. In this particular context, that, is, that has an exploitative con, con, uh, context. It's, it's exploitive. It's bad. There's not, nothing wrong with buying or selling. The deeper meaning beneath that here is this. Lucifer was exploiting what belonged to someone else by taking a little off the top. It's like if I worked in your shop and every now and then, without you knowing it, I work in your shop, but I reach in the cash drawer and take a little for myself. That's what was happening. If you're gathered here on Sunday morning, and you refuse to sing, and you endure the worship just so that you can wait to hear someone preach, you may be withholding from God something that he wants from you. Could something like preference or personal taste be what keeps you from engaging? Brothers and sisters, as your worship pastor, I shepherd you away from that dangerous ground, and I invite you to so much more. We have the best preaching and teaching of the Bible in the country, right here in this pulpit, every weekend, week in and week out. Many of you come and you have learned so much about the Bible from Robin Lloyd, and so have I, and I'm thankful for it. But I will say this, we do not worship for better preaching. We preach for better worship. We do not worship for better preaching. We preach for better worship because when we worship the living God, we are echoing the only thing that we will carry with us from this life into the next. Discipleship, fill in the blank books, mission trips, prayer, tithing, everything that we do in our Christian daily life is really to help us become better worshipers because those are things that all pass away except for God's people lifting up the great name of the Lord. We carry that thing and that thing alone from this life into the next. Next thing we do when we refuse to sing is we neglect our emotions. I often hear cautions about things not being too emotional. Hey, emotions are good. 
Emotionalism, that's not good where you just based, where you value an experience based purely on like whether or not it was hyper-emotional. That's not good, but emotions are good. I wanna hear you sing from your heart. I wanna be your worship pastor and lead you from my heart with emotion. I want the expression of this body when we sing together to not be based purely on an intellectual concept, but on a lived experience that is filled with life and wholeness and emotion that only comes from a true experience with the living God from people who are filled with the spirit. When I asked Heather out, you know, I'll talk to you guys about that. What, what I didn't do was like go up to her and say like, hey, based, based on a thorough analysis of your suitability as a mate, I would like to take the necessary steps uh, to acquire you as a partner. Um, I have prepared a brief spreadsheet to, I didn't, ex, I didn't explain to her or try to justify to her my feelings or why they even made sense sometimes. We got into that later. <laughs> but what I did was I brought my heart to her and I wanna encourage you to, to bring your heart. Don't hold back a portion for yourself when we gather in this place because I, I need to borrow faith from you sometimes. You, you might have observed me this year. I, I've had quite a difficult year. I had some, some rough things happen. I, I lost my father earlier in the year and I stood over there sometimes and I was like, man, I don't, I don't feel like singing. I just don't, I don't want to. So I just, I brought it to the Lord and then I would see you guys lifting up a song and, and I would borrow your song. I want you to be able to borrow one from me. I want all of us to not ignore our emotions or discount them or push them to the side. But I do want to remind you that a song has a way of retuning your instrument to the objective unchanging, eternal truths of who God is and will always be. If your heart is broken, don't try to just mend it real quick and patch it up. You can sit there in it, but invite the Lord into it. Maybe you sing to him from a broken spirit. The Bible was filled with references of that. Maybe you have a heavy heart and you bring him a song and it sounds and feels heavy. It's okay. I would be surprised if you didn't experience the phenomenon of how that can help tune your heart to the eternal, objective, unending, unchanging truths of God. We talked about what happens when we do. We talked about what happens when we won't, when we refuse. So my friends, what will you choose? Isaiah 61 is the messianic prophecy. This is actually a prophecy that Jesus stands up in the temple and reads a portion of this very prophecy. And he says, this prophecy was fulfilled in your hearing today. He begins his ministry in this way. But this is from Isaiah 61, the prophecy that Jesus read about himself. And it describes the reality that Jesus didn't just come to give us intellectual concepts. He came to trade with us these experiences that we feel deeply in our souls. And his, his love is the expression of those things. Isaiah 61, he has sent me to bind up 
the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus came to give us this great exchange, all of our shame and brokenness and despair and mourning for his joy, for his wholeness, for his life. And it's a garment of praise that we can put on. When we lift up a song and put on a garment of praise, we are putting on Jesus. Don't hold back. Don't hold back a portion for yourself. In light of his glory, there is nothing left worth keeping. Will you put on a garment of praise with me this morning? Will you remember that his shame became our glory when his garment was stripped from him? He was humiliated so that you and I could one day by faith be robed in his righteousness and in what he has done. Will you put on the garment of praise with me And remember that the Bible tells us that when we put on love, it binds everything together in perfect harmony, like a good song. When we worship together, we help one another get a picture of unity and faith in this life and in the life to come, where addiction and brokenness and depression and grief and tears are ultimately undone with a song the people of God robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Revelation 6, excuse me, Revelation 19, 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint, the garment of praise, Jesus. We are clothed in righteousness because of what Jesus has done. Will you stand with me this morning? And we're gonna spend the rest of our time together lifting up a song of praise, clothed in the garment of praise, glorifying Jesus for who he is and what he has done. Will you give him praise in this place with us today? Let's sing, come on.